covers 10 chapters. So is anyone, did anyone come here prepared to share? One, two, three. Anyone else come here prepared to share? Or you want me to be led by the Spirit? You know my usual style. I'm sure every one of us prepared for tonight. It's not, it can't just be three people. Any el- anybody else? Anyone else? No? Okay. So we have four people. All right. Okay. Do we have a spare mic? So if we, if we just go around like this, just I hope you start us. Praise the Lord. Um, I'm going to contribute from um, Jeremiah chapter 5, um, verse 1. It says, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around and consider such through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive the city. What struck my mind is, is God is calling on one, I'll ask you for just one person out of a whole city, out of a whole, a whole nation that will seek him concerning that city. So when I was reading this, is, um, sometimes when I read the word of God, I try to look at myself first and before I look out. And I could see that there are things, there are things that happen in our lives and in our families that we most times we talk about it, but we don't really rise up as children of God to seek God concerning it, let alone seeking God for, for the nations. That, God, that we are in. So what struck my mind is, is, is that in this um, Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 1, is that as we learned in yesterday, JTA yesterday, God is calling for those that will really stand in the gap. And uh, even in this Jeremiah, we saw that God was calling for the morning women. I said the skillful women that will will, that will seek my face. And that struck me also when uh, um, about Jesus Christ before he went to the cross as uh, as my pastor was 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 taking us into the cross when she was praying that he sought before he even went to the cross as he is God himself he knelt down and he prayed and the Bible said that the tears that came out of his eyes was thick as blood. Because it was seeking God, uh, God's face to go to the cross for me and for you. So it was in my mind, how do I seek God? And, and, and when I was going and looking through it, I remember when the, the, the story apostle shared with us as a man that, uh, that did what, what wasn't right in the, in the sight of God. And God turned his back concerning him. But apostle said he knelt down and he was praying for mercy. And as he prayed and he prayed and he held the, the foot of Jesus, and God turned his face concerning that, that man. Because, and God said that anybody that, if everyone will seek me this way, that you have sought me concerning this person, that there is no prayer that can be answered. So God is calling for that, uh, uh, that spirit of seeking him, for us to seek him concerning our families, concerning the nations, concerning even this knife crime that is going on around, around London. God wants us to seek him. God said he's just looking for one person. And me and you can be that person that God will use to change nations and situations in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Can I quickly touch on Jeremiah chapter 1? Then I'll touch on this. Uh, chapter 10, I'll start quickly. So chapter 1 first. Uh, I'm looking at verse 4. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4. It said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Praise the Lord. So this is just very much in line with what Apostle has been teaching us over the last few weeks about we aligning our purpose with God's purpose. Every one of us here, we have God-given purpose for our lives. Number one, the Lord has given us the great commission that we should go out and make disciples of all nations. And if we, we have to make sure that we are actually aligning our, all our activities in the house of God when they call for evangelism. We make sure that we are there to go and do what the Lord has asked us to do. Number two, the Lord wants to intercede for all men. So he should pray for all men. So that's another purpose God has given to you. And I said our spiritual purpose. And also our God-given purpose, it turns off as the secular world. We should think, what is the purpose of we going to work? As I also said, if it is just for to feed ourselves, feed our family, and that is it, then we miss the mark. So if you're thinking of, how can I align my earthly and spiritual mandates to align with what God has for me? When we go to work, we should be thinking of how much, how can I enrich the kingdom of God? How can I enrich with the, the kingdom of God for what, I'm, what God is blessing me from my, could be my secular work or from my business? We should make sure that we have the, the work of God in our thoughts, in our mind. When we have that, then God is bound to bless and prosper the work of our hands. Praise the Lord. Then, now moving on swiftly to Jeremiah chapter 10. This was a comparison between God and idols. I raised a prayer request earlier on that. God should empower us to look at his own bigness. Many a times when we believers, we have situations, challenges confronting us. We tend to magnify that situation above God. But in this chapter, the man of God, Prophet Jeremiah, compared the bigness of God to the worthless idols. So when we are faced with situations, challenges, Apostle shared with us on Sunday that we should have confidence, number one, and we should be resilient that our God will carry us through such situations. We are not just going to, not going to leave us there. So we should look at the bigness of our God. Problems brings innovation. God wants to improve us. God wants to increase us when we have challenges. So we should look at the bigness of our God. Jesus said to him that believe, nothing shall be impossible. With God, all things are possible. So we should look at the bigness of our God and not at our situation. And as we stand there believing in the word of God, at the fullness of time, the word of God will prevail and we have our breakthrough. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I'm going to do Jeremiah 1.1. We see that Jeremiah was only a youth when the Lord spoke to him. And we, if you read Jeremiah 1.1, he said the word of the Lord came to him. You read, um, go to Hosea 1.1, the, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to him. Jewel Zechariah, Zephaniah, Haggai. So that, that, what is that telling us? The Lord still speaks to us today. 
And when we, in this house we hear apostles, the word of the Lord came to him. And we see the word come to fulfillment. So what I'm saying is, when you look at Jeremiah, all we see is what God said about the children of Israel. And we see them come to pass. Reading Jeremiah is like the Old Testament, the book of history. But we see it manifesting. We see it happening in our own time in this house. So what that is telling us, the Lord still speaks. And we all still have to seek to hear the word of God, to hear from Lord, whatever the Lord said. And sometimes God will speak to us, but we will not won't be confident and bold enough to say the Lord said, but we see it happen. So because when Jeremiah was 13 years, the Lord called him, he was reluctant. But today, when we read these books, we learn, it's a learning curve for us, that when the Lord speak, the Lord still speak. Speak out, and we will see it come to pass. And it's an encouragement for every one of us, and for me to praise the Lord. Um, my contribution is going to be taken from um, Jeremiah chapter 1, again, verse 4 and 5. But I'm going to um, have a different insight into it. It says, um, Sorry, before I formed you in your womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Um, basically, God's plan and purpose for Jeremiah was that he be appointed as a prophet to the nation. This plan was disclosed to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah fulfilled the plan and purpose. Um, again, Apostle has been teaching us about God's plan and purpose based on Isaiah 14:24, which says, The Lord Almighty has sworn, surely as I have planned it will be, and as I have purposed it will stand. God has a plan and purpose for everyone and everything he has created. Even before we were formed, God has thought of us, and before conception, he prepared a destiny for us. God has cared for us and made provision for us, even before we met our parents, our spouses, our friends. This is why we have to give him our everything and put him first before anything or anyone. To my understanding, this is why God gets upset when we turn away from him and the and pursue or consult anyone prior to seeking him. But then again, common sense will tell us that we should seek, we should not seek um, our future from anyone else apart from God because he knew us in the beginning, even before our conception. God's plan and purpose will surely come to pass. He has given us a guarantee. He used the word surely as a guarantee. In addition to this plan and purpose, his plan and purpose, we can see that it can be revealed unto us, for he revealed this plan and purpose to Jeremiah. It's not a secret. If we seek God, God will definitely disclose our plan and purpose. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. Um, we do not need to struggle, therefore, to find our purpose in life if we seek God. In my eyes, God has made our lives easy so that we can navigate this earth. We need to identify God's plan and purpose in order for us to live purposefully. Praise the Lord. Has any other person have any contribution to make before I go over what I've noted? Any other person? No? Okay. All right. So we all are familiar with Janet, Jer Jeremiah chapter 1 to 10. I will just...
pick on some few points that I've noted from what we've learned so far. Because I believe that the book of Jeremiah is basically recorded for the sake of this present church. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not just limiting it to Christ's faith tabernacle. I'm talking about the church global. Everything that we've studied in Jeremiah so far, we've seen it in our days, both their shortcomings and also in their returning back to God. We've seen it in in our own days. But we this is like a warning for us because God will never overlook disobedience and rebellious acts. He never overlooks sin. God punishes sin. And the same God in the days of Jeremiah is the same God that we serve today. He's a rigid God, a jealous God, a holy God who cannot stand on godliness. So the reason why we come to church is for us to hear about the ways of the Lord and how we can live our life right so that when Jesus comes, none of us will be found wanting and his coming will not be like a surprise to us. You know, for every believer that is in Christ Jesus, the coming of the Lord will not be like a thief in the night for you because you will know the season. Those who he will be like a thief in the night are those who are living their life and they are not taking God along. They are not acknowledging God in all of their ways. In fact, God is out of their subconscious. But for every one of us who are followers of Christ, when we say followers of Christ, you, are, you and Jesus walk hand in hand. You don't leave Jesus at home. You don't leave Jesus in Christ's faith tabernacle on Sunday. And then Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday, you are on your own. A believer is someone who takes Jesus everywhere he or she goes. A believer is someone who will not be on holiday, you know, without Christ. Oh, I'm on holiday. I want to go and enjoy myself. So they leave their own Jesus at home. You take Jesus along with your holiday. On your business trip, Jesus is there. In your workplace, Jesus is there. In your school, Jesus is there. That is a believer. And if you live your life in consciousness of that, I believe that what happened in the days of Jeremiah to the children of Israel will not happen to us. So this is, we thank God that we are able to learn from somebody or someone. And that's the basic reason why we come to church. We don't just come to church to come and just fulfill all righteousness or to say that, okay, we are present. What is it that we have learned? And anytime we have an opportunity for us to be taught in here, let's go out and put them into practice. And I'm not just talking about the Bible school. I'm talking about every time we gather in here. Some of us come here every day. And we, hear, we have opportunity to hear the word of God every day. Yes, we pray the word, but we hear the words. Because each time we pray, anyone that leads prayer, they are preaching. We get message from their prayers. And that's an opportunity for us to go home and say, God, oh, the way this uh, leader led this prayer, I never see it in this light. It gives us an understanding. It broadens our understanding. So that's the reason why we study all these scriptures, so that we will live our life and be ready, so that Jesus can come at any time. He can come when it's midnight time. We are ready. 
We should live our lives as if Jesus is going to come the next nanoseconds. I'm not talking about second because second is still a lot. Nanoseconds. Or even something that is even less than nanoseconds. Jesus can come now. Some of us might not even make our way home tonight. The car may be in the car park and somebody else will drive it. Those who are left behind, it will not be me. So that's the way we should live our life. And so the reason why we come to church is so that, okay, this is the mistake that these people have committed. I don't want to commit the same mistake. I want to live my life spot on with God. So back to Jeremiah. I know our two sisters are shared on Jeremiah chapter 1 from verses 4 and 5. And those are the keys. I want to look at the key verses in each of these chapters. But the key verse was the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called as the priest, as a prophet, because he came from a priestly lineage. And every one of us here seated, we are not just an accident. We all have a calling upon our lives. God called you into your own family. Why should God call Sister Hope into a Basi family and not the army fuller family? Why should I be called into the army fuller family and not the Okereke family? So God has a reason why he has called you there. But have you actually sit down and ask God, what's my purpose in that family? Don't you? Yes, it's easy for us to say, what is my purpose in Christ, yeah, God has brought you to Christ's faith tabernacle. Why has God brought you to Christ's faith tabernacle? Why did you not go to that church across the road? Why are you not in New Wine? Why are you not in the Church of England somewhere? Why are you not in Anglican Church somewhere? Why is it that this particular church God has brought you? Thank God that God has been leading apostles to tell us about purpose. We are talking about the purpose of Jeremiah in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. His purpose was to be a prophet to the nation. So, have we identified the reason why God has called us to this church? Why has God called you into the ushering group? What is your purpose there? What is your purpose there? If you do not know your purpose, you will just be coming in and out. And that's why some people get fed up because they feel that they are in a particular group but they are not being useful. Or they pick up offense. And before you know it, they say that, oh, God is leading me to join the Sunday school teacher, teachers. So we need to know the purpose at which each one of us, in our department, why are you there? As a leader, why are you a leader? What is your purpose of being in the, in the leadership? What is your purpose of being in the leadership? What is your purpose of marrying the husband that God gave you? What is the purpose of you being the mother over your children, the father over your children? Why are you in that family? What is the purpose of you being in the work, in your organization where you work? What is your purpose there? Why didn't God put you in another department? Why is it that department? What is it that God wants to accomplish through you? Those are the things we need to look at. We break it down, looking at it in the bigger scale, now bringing limit it to a smaller scale. So we need to find out our purpose. This man knew that he was called to be a prophet. At the time, he was fairly reluctant. He was like a Moses of his own time as well, giving excuses. I was only young. So whatever purpose God has for us, God wants us to be bold. Fully well know that we are not on our own anyway. God says he's going to help us. He helped him. He said he would be with him. 
He put his words in his mouth. Everything that this man needed to fulfill his purpose, God gave it to him. Gave him that assurance. And the same way God has given us to an assurance, so we don't have any excuse. We don't have any excuse. Some of us, we apply to a top you know, post in our organization, and we are like, who sent me? Am I able? Do I have what it takes to be able to fulfill that purpose? But God is saying, I will help you. You are not just alone. So it is. Any assignment that God gives you in church, God doesn't want us to shy away from it. If you shy away from it and say, I'm shy, I'm not this, you are depending on yourself. And that's an element of pride. It's a thin line between pride and humility. When you are humble, you say, God, I know I'm not up to the tax, but I know you are up to the tax, and I know you are able to empower me with every necessary, you know, gifts and ability to be able to fulfill that purpose. So this man, thank God, Jeremiah, the prophet, he was able to submit to God, and God was able to use him mightily. So those are the things that we learned in Jeremiah chapter 1. Going back to Jeremiah chapter 2, Israel forsake God. We learned about the two sins that Israel committed. And two sins is that they forsook God and they dig their own systems. And it's easy for us also to not to be on the same level that we were when we first gave our life to Christ. If we can look inwardly and examine ourselves. And I think the best thing for us to, to do as Christians is on a daily basis we are praising ourselves. This time, we don't, we, in your place of work, you have your boss who gives you like a quarterly appraisers. But in Christendom, we have God. And we have an opportunity to stand before God and say, God, I've put myself on the scale. How far have I done? And if you want to be sincere with yourself, God will be able to tell you that, look, daughter, son, this is the area that you need improvement. This is the area that you are slacking. And we don't wait quarterly to do that. We do that on a daily basis. We know it fully well that the master can come at any time. Going back to what I said earlier, Jesus can come at any time. Our goal is heaven. That is our goal. Our ambition is life, is to get to that city of gold. But how can we get there? It's for us to examine ourselves. And the Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 13, it says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. So it's, an, it's a daily walk with Jesus. So these Israelites, the two sins they committed was the sin of forsaking God. And it's very, very easy for us also to not trust God because maybe we are in a situation or challenges that weigh us down and we look to ourselves and say, are we really serving God? And Satan will be bombarding our mind that it may be because of the sin you committed 2,000 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago. Oh, you've not fully been born again. Those are the lies from the pit of hell. But this... Israelite forsake God. God doesn't want us to forsake him. God wants us to walk step by step with him. And in, I will read from verse 19. It said, your wickedness will punish you and your backsliding will rebuke you. 
Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you. So each time we slide back into the world, the result of that is bitterness. The result of that is confusion. You will lose your peace. The peace you once have, you will lose it completely. So there's no benefit in us going back to the world because the only benefit we give us is confusion. And who loves confusion anyway? Nobody loves confusion. Every one of us wants to live a life of peace. So it's backsliding is not only when we do not see you in church. Some people come to church regularly, but they are still backslidden. Because the thing that they used to do at first, they've, they've now left it. They are no more doing it. They are no more seeking God at home. It's no more, their Bible is no more, you know, underlined. Before, their first Bible was like crispy. Everything is all rough because they cannot do they cannot do without reading the Bible. But today the Bible has not become a struggle. So you are backslidden in that area, even though you come to church regularly. You backslidden in that area. Oh, prayer is a struggle. Going on evangelism is a struggle. Attending fellowship for some is a struggle. They are just coming. So that's the area of backsliding. And you find out that it's now affecting you because your joy is no more as it was. And that is why David prayed that prayer. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Do not take away the Holy Spirit from me. The Holy Spirit will not leave a man, but it can leave. It will be as if you have not the Holy Spirit because it will lead the man. Because many a times the Holy Spirit has instructed you, corrected you, but you've ignored, you've shown it off. So he will be as if he's not there. Because the Holy Spirit can be easily grieved and he's so gentle. So he'll be as if he's not there. The Holy Spirit will not depart from you, but it will be as if he's not there. What a life. None of us want to live that kind of life. That is the effect of backsliding. And this is what these people do. And the Bible says they dug their own system. That is, they choose their own ways. They invent their own ways. They no longer pay attention to the ways of the Lord. God doesn't want us to do that. Because it's only going to bring confusion and it will dampen our faith. And chapter 3 was referring to, was talking about unfaithful Israel. Where he talked about Israel and Judah. Judah was, saw Israel committing adultery and instead of warning the sister she now joined in it and none of them were able to return back to god because of their pride and that's what all that is all about how many times have we done things that is unrighteous and is unholy and god has won us over and over and over and over even told us the consequence of us being in disobedience but our heart is so hard as a stone, and we do not want to bend. And what God will do is just to turn his back against us. And we don't want that to happen. So that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They were unfaithful to God. Are we unfaithful to God? Are we unfaithful in our fighting, in our offering to God? Are we unfaithful? If we are unfaithful, there is a consequence. And the Bible says in that verse, 
8, he said, I gave faithless Israel a certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Certificate of divorce. If we go to Isaiah 59, it talks about that, how the Israelites or the, uh, the people of God divorced themselves from God. He said, who gave you the certificate of divorce? Sometimes it's not even God who divorced, but because we turn our back against him, so we separate ourselves. Divorce have, is about separation. So when we sin against God, we will, be, we will feel embarrassed. We will feel shameful to relate to the God that we serve. The confidence will be lost. So God doesn't want us to come to that place where we lose our confidence. God wants a relationship with him. He wants us to dialogue with him. He wants us to reason with him. Isaiah 118. God wants us to reason with him. He wants to talk. He wants conversation. And I think that is the analogy of marriage. A true marriage will communicate. Marriage where there is no communication, then that marriage just, is just a matter of time. It will face away. And if it doesn't face away, they will just be living and coexisting. And that's no life. But we are married to Jesus. Jesus is our husband man. The children of God who are Christians are the wives. We are the bride of Christ. And God wants relationship. He wants us to communicate. But Israel was unfaithful. God doesn't want us to be unfaithful. And in, Jer- in Jeremiah chapter 4, it talks about disaster from the north. We all knew about the vision that was given to Jeremiah in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse uh, 5, is it verse 15, uh, 13 to 19, the vision of the boiling pots. And that vision has to do with the disaster that will come upon the northern part of Israel. So this man was able to see the fulfillment of that vision in his own lifetime. He was able to see the vision, he was able to see vision, and he was able to experience the fulfillment of vision because of his commitment to God. How many vision has God given us? God is trying to tell us that anything he promised or anything he shows us, it will surely come to pass. When God gives a vision, he doesn't just give it to us for us to just admire the sight. It's to bring it to pass. So every vision that is given to us, every prophecy we receive, every revelation that we receive will surely come to pass. So it is always good that when God gives us a warning as well, it will come to pass. It will come to pass. So let's eat to the warning of God. And this is an encouragement for us also that when we have a prophetic word from God, it is, it is easy, it is always very, very good for us to pray to be. If we pray to be, it will surely come to pass. And in Jeremiah chapter 5, it was referring to not one is upright. Not one is upright. When I was reading this, it brought back the story of Abraham in the book of Genesis chapter 18. When the angels came to Abraham and told him that they are on their way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And Abraham was in the presence of God, interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah, knowing fully well that his nephew Lot was there. And he started that by saying that if there is any 50, if there's 50 righteous persons in the land, will you still destroy? God said, I will not destroy. If there is 40, if there is 45, if there is 30, until he got to 10. Can you imagine? I was just imagining that how evil a whole nation is. It's like the nation of England and 50, you cannot count 50 people who are righteous. It's so, it's that so appalling. What the Bible recorded here is that not one is righteous. Not one is righteous among these people, Israel. And the worst of all was the, the leaders. But even the leaders were not righteous. In verse 5, it says, So, when, when God searched through the people, it's like God searching through all the members. And he could not see a righteous person. Not one is a righteous person. And he said, okay, at least I will find solace among the leaders, among my own pastors. And then verse 5. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord. You will, uh, you will expect at least the, 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 the clergy, the pastors, the leaders, spiritual leaders, to know the ways of the Lord and to fear him and to walk in his ways. But it wasn't so. He said, surely they know the way of the Lord, the requirement of their God. But with one accord, all the leaders, with one accord, they too have broken off the yoke and torn off the bonds. It's the yoke that yoke God with them. They've torn it off. So can God come to your own household and have confidence that, yes, these ones are serving me. These ones are living an upright, righteous life. Can God vouch for us? Let's look at ourselves as individual family. I know there are different families that are seated here tonight. But can God vouch for your family that you are a family of the upright? You are the family of the godly. You are the family of the obedient. You are the family of the faithful. Can God say that about our individual family? Can God say that about you? God is still looking for not groups of people. He's not looking for multitudes of people, but he's looking for one. But God, can God, can God vouch for your own family that, yes, if other people turn their back against me, this family will not. If, this, if other people are compromising, this person will not. Can God say that about us? We don't want to disappoint God. We can see how disappointed God was when he now faced the leaders. The leaders are, okay, these are, all, these are all my people. These are the people that I pour my oil upon. At least they will walk in my ways. But he was disappointed. I pray that the Lord will not be disappointed upon us. I pray that the Lord will be able to have confidence in us. The Lord will be able to rely on us. We will be God's confidence. We will be God's reliance. Because this is what happened in the days of the Israelites, in the days of Jeremiah. And chapter 6. Chapter 6, 
was about Jeremiah on uh, Jerusalem. Sorry, Jerusalem under siege. But in verse eight, he said, "Take warning, Jerusalem, or I will turn away from you and make you make your land desolate, so no one can live in it." And in verse ten, he says, "To whom can I speak?" And give warning. Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed. So they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. So every one of us that are here tonight. I believe the reason why we are here. Is because we are hungry to know the word of God. We are hungry to be in God's presence. That is why we are here. But some people find offense in the word. They take offense in the word. When the word is being preached. It's like oh who told this person about my life. And they pick offense. Not knowing that it is God who wants to get their attention. Lay it upon the heart of whoever is speaking. His servant. And he begins to speak to them. Because he wants to correct their life. The Bible says that he corrects those that he loves. And then many a times God speaks to us when in a service like this. Especially those of us who come here with, an, with a heart to want to know. With a heart to want to hear something from the Lord. We've already prayed before we came here. God speak to me. And so if God now speaks to you and you are now offend, offended with what he's spoken, then that person definitely is not on God's side. So, God's word is to correct us. God's word is to warn us. God's word is to reprove us. God's word is to encourage us. Sometimes the word of God is bitter because he wants to bring sweetness to your heart. So, sometimes the word of God can, you know, break you and it's like he's hurting you. But at the end of the day, it is to heal you. So the word of God sometimes may not be, oh, speak on. Thank God in this house. It's not like that. Because we tell you the truth. And sometimes the truth can be so bitter. But when you swallow it up in, it brings healing to your soul. It brings healing to your spirit. When the word of God rebuke you, it's to make you perfect. It's to shape your life up so that you will, be, you will come into perfection. That's the essence of the word of God. But these people, they do not want to take warning. The Bible says, I correct those that I love. For well, any time we have an opportunity to be corrected by God, it is an opportunity for us to say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. The warning is so bitter, but I take on to your warning. Because at the end of the day, it will do me good than harm. Jeremiah chapter 7 talks about the first religion, worthless. Worthless, false religion. These are the people that went into the house of God like we are in the house of God now. And you know that the moment we are coming in into the house of God, there's an angel at the entrance. And the Lord God Almighty is here. And guess what? God Almighty is here. The physical camera is there taking everyone's faces. But there are angels that are taking hearts. Angels are taking hearts. God is watching at everyone's heart right now. We are not alone. If we can count the number of people here, I think we are at least less than 60. But there are millions and millions of angels that are here. Because each one of us come with our own guardian angels. And some of us have more. Apostles have four. 
So I don't know how many each one of us has. So angels are more than the physical faces that I can see here. And they are taking hearts. They are taking the motive of our hearts. So if I were you, if your mind have traveled, I would quickly readjust and be here. Because God is watching hearts and he's taking hearts. So this is what this scripture is saying here. And I want to quickly just read this because it's very, very important. And it relates to what is going on right now. He says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. So he told Jeremiah to stand at the gate of the, of the house of the Lord. And what's the message? Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions. And I will let you live in this place. So even in the house of God, the house of God is meant to be a house of repentance. It's a house where we repent. You know, many a times apostle is preaching, it's like, oh my God, this word is hitting me bad. Instantly you are repenting. You don't wait until apostle now closes his eyes and say, how many of you want to... Do you repent of your ways? As the message is going, you are repenting. Because before Apostle finished the message, maybe Jesus would have come. And you would have been too late for that if you are waiting to the end of the service. Or you are saying, okay, I will meet Apostle after the service. No, no, right there. Repent. Repent. So God, in the house of God, warnings are given. When God gives warning, it's for you to repent. This is the temple of, it said, do, do, verse 4, let me read verse 4. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly. So there have been so, there's uh, been incidents of injustice in the house. If you do not oppress the foreigners. These are the sins, some of the sins that they committed. The fatherless or the widows. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. So anytime the world, that's what I said initially and I'm repeating it again. When you come to the house of God, the word of God is to Reprove you, correct you, strengthen you, heal you. Those are the words. He come to correct. So in the house of God, when the word of God is being preached, don't take offense, don't pick offense. It's pride. When you pick offense, then Satan is whispering into that person's ear, to the robbing you of your blessing. Let the word of God, there was, okay, I thought it's, I think it's Sister uh, Hope who was saying that when the word of God come, she, she look at herself inwardly before she now look outwardly. I think that is a good attitude to emulate. When we come to the house of the Lord, be there, let it just be you and God. So when the message is coming out, let that message be for you. Before you start thinking of others who are not there, it is for you. That is why you have come. 
It is for you, not for Sister Lagbaja. It's for you. So when we receive the word like that, then we will be blessed. And our life will be in accordance to God's will. So these are some of the sins that the Israelites were committing. Oppressing the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows, shedding innocent blood. And he said, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. In this house, we thank God that that's not happening. Because every word that comes from the altar is a word of truth. It's a word we don't deceive anybody. None of the pastors deceive anybody. Apostle is our role model, is our forerunner. So every message he preaches is what the pastors and the ministers preaches. We don't give deceptive words. So thank God for that. So if we have, if people are listening on the air and they are going to where they hear deceptive words, the Bible says they are worthless. And anything that is worthless, they themselves that are hearing and listening to deceptive words will end up being worthless. So it's better you move away from the place of deception so that at the end of the day, you will be able to spare your own life and meet heaven. Verse 9 says, I will you still, a mother, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known. But what I really want to bring out of here is the fact that they came to the house of the Lord. But all these things was going on in their hearts. God sees. Jehovah sees. Jehovah knows. We always sing that song. He knows everything that is in our heart. We may be here and it looks as if we are here. But God knows those who are here and those who are not. God knows what is going on in every heart. So whenever we come to the house of God, let us be conscious of the fact that there are more that are with us than what we can see. Angels are here taking records of hearts. And that is what we determine what we get at the end of the day. That will determine our rewards. So let's be here sincerely. Chapter 8. Chapter 8 talks about the sin and punishment of the people. And if we look at verse 7, I will read verse 7 and 9. It said, Even the stock in the sky knows our appointed seasons, and the dove, the dove, the swift, and the church observe the time of their, of their immigration, but my, of, of their migration, sorry. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. You see? If you look at the stars, the stars knows when to come out. The sun knows when to come out. The moon knows when to come out. The, uh, uh, many years ago, I was just thinking of that. That none of this, all the things that God created, the stars, the moon, the clouds, none of them have rebelled. Even the day never rebelled and said, today I'm not going to be the day. I'm not going. The day, the day is supposed to last till maybe six o'clock. He, the day has never rebelled. There has never been conflict between day and night. 
Night has not said, oh, today I'm not going to give, I'm not going to hand over to the day. Night is not going to hand over to the day. The day is not going to hand over to the night. There has never been any rebellious. No. But why is it that it's man that is made in the image of God that rebelled against God? Why? Why? Let's think about that. But in verse 9, he said, The wise will be put to shame, those who are wise in their own ways. They will be dismayed and trapped, since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? You know, the word of God is not, the wisdom of God is not supposed to make us to reject God. When we study the word, the word of God is supposed to make us wise. And it's, it's, it's supposed to make us to fear God to the extent that the word of God becomes our final authority in life. The more of the word of God that we study and we put into use, the more wisdom we will become. The more wise we will become. The more wisdom we will have. Who was the man that was the wisest person on earth? It was Solomon. God gave him wisdom. But he was also a friend of God initially. And God made him wise. The same applies to David, his father. David was a man after God's heart. And he studied the word of God to the extent that he was able to bring out songs from the word of God. And he was wise. So the word of God will make us wise. Wise in the sense that also we will have intelligence. You are, you are, maybe you are having problem with memory. And those are the things we need to teach our children as well. When you, someone has problem with memory, apostles have said it over and over again. Just read the Bible. Cultivate the habit of reading the Bible, reading the Bible, reading the Bible. Before you know it, the memory will be intact. Because it confirms. And what, what he said, if you read the book of um, Psalm 119 verse 99. He says, I will have more understanding better than my teachers. Because I love the word. Because I study the word. So the word of God makes you wise. The word of God. The more of the word of God you have in your memory or you have in your heart, the more intelligent you will become. And in chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 9. So in verse 5, in verse 5, it says, Friend deceive friends, and no one speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. So friends deceive friends, and no one speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to lie. And I remember when mom was preaching or teaching us on this. She was telling that if we can teach our tongue to tell lies, we can also teach our tongue to say the truth. Because teaching your tongue to tell lies, according to the scripture that we just read, will only bring weariness to your soul. But if you teach your tongue to say the truth, it will bring strength it will bring healing to your soul. 
So as children of God, we should learn how to say the truth at all times. What I wrote here on my side note, I say we are in control of our actions. We can train our tongue to speak the truth, which in turn strengthens us. While lies weakens a man. So each time we lie, we are weakening our strength. We are weakening our soul. Each time we lie, we are separating ourselves from the Lord. Because the Bible says there are six things that I hate. Seven things that is abominable to me in the book of Proverbs 6 from verse 16. And the first thing that was mentioned that God hates was lying. Lying tongue. When we lie, we are not God's friends. God hates that act. He doesn't hate us, but he hates the act. And he can make God to oppose us. He will make God, he will make blessing to be far fetched from us. So we should learn how to say the truth. Learn how to speak the truth at all times. And verse 7 said, Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says. See, I will refine and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? So refining, the Bible says he will refine us. This is God's, God is so merciful. He doesn't want his own children to perish. God loves us to the extent that he wants us to be by his side. He wants us to, to just inherit the blessing that is meant for us. The Bible says we have been called to, ble- to be blessed. So what did God say he's going to do to his people? He's going to refine them. And what can refine them is his words. The word of God is the one that purifies, that refines. So God wants to bring us to perfection. And the only way we can be refined is through his word. Whenever we come to his presence like this, we are being refined. Today we are being refined. There is a part of us that God has refined so that we can come into perfection. And lastly, in Jeremiah chapter 10, which we studied last week, we saw the distinction between God and idols. How God was magnified. How idols were relegated. The Bible talked about the idols of men are worthless. And we gain more understanding when we read the book of Psalm 115, when it talked about the idols that have eyes they cannot see, they have ears they cannot hear, they have legs they cannot walk, they have hands they cannot handle. And the Bible says that those who trust them, those who trust in them are like them. So anytime we trust in anything that is lesser than our God, we are just like them. And when we trust in our God, we are like him. And that is why we will talk like him, we will reason like him, we will walk like him, we will act like him because we trust in him. And it makes a different analogy between our God and the God of idols. How our God is the creator of the heaven and the earth. In verse 18, I love what he says there in verse 18. He says, he who is the portion of Jacob, God is our portion. It's not like this. It's not like the idols of this world. For he is the maker of all things. Idols are created by someone. Can you imagine a creator create an idol and is worshipping the one that he creates? What a foolishness that is. Then you are a god then because you create the idol. So why should you be worshipping the created things? 
But no one created God. God is a self-existing God. But he created us. He created us. So he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. Can you imagine? God created his people. He is their God. But they turn to worship the God of gold and silver, the God of the works of their own hands. In our own days, we don't have to have graven image. I know that we say this all the time. But we will still mention it again. Anything that we esteem above God has become our God. So if we esteem our work above God, then it is our God. If they give you an option that there's a convention going on in the house, and then in your place of work, there's an overtime going on, and you choose overtime above God, not trusting God that God is able to bless that little one, that little earning that you are bringing home, then that has become your God. If your bills, you are esteeming your bills above paying your tithe, then your bills have become your God. The Bible says we should prove him with this. God doesn't need to be proved. He doesn't need to be proved because we know that our God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. You may be earning little, but if you faithfully pay your tithe because God said so, you will be amazed that God will provide for you that you will pay your bills. You will lack nothing. So it doesn't depend on the, or how much you have or how much do you have to obey God with. So there are so many things that can signify idols in our lives. Some of us are trusting God for the fruit of the womb, and then the moment the child comes, we forget about God. That has become an idol. Oh, I want to marry, I want to marry. Then you get married, and then, oh, I need to prepare for my husband, because the Bible says... And should submit, wives should submit to their husbands. And then you forget God. Your commitments, your early commitment before the husband comes, your attendance in all your, all your departments, you forget about that. You want to satisfy your husband. That has become your God. So, we need to magnify our God. God is our maker. And because he's our maker... We have to submit to our maker. He has an assignment for us, and we need, to, we need to fulfill that assignment under his own leading. And finally, in that verse 3, verse 23, Jeremiah's prayer, Lord, I know that, I know that people's lives are not their own. <laughs> that is why we need to serve this God, because we don't own our lives. He knows. He has this knowing. Does every one of us have this knowing that our life does not belong to us? Because within a twinkle of an eye, the life can be sniffed off. Sniffed off at any time. We may be strong. We all have a witness that we can be strong and healthy today and tomorrow we are no more. So, but what have you done while you are living? Your life is not your own. It's not your own. It is not for them to direct their steps. That's why we may have plans, but does that plan align with God's plan for us? It may be good plan. It may be godly plan. But does that plan align with God's plan? God may have a bigger plan beyond our imagination. So if we are putting our head, I must do this, I must do this, I must get it by all costs. 
But God has a different plan. And that plan, if God should open it to you, you will say, you will even be rebuking the devil that it cannot be God's plan. Is it God's plan for Joseph to be, end up in the dungeon, even though he was God-fearing? It wasn't God's, it, it wasn't his plan, but it was God's plan. Because God knew that from that dungeon, he will now come to be the prime minister of a foreign nation. Is it God's plan for God to allow Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den? It was part of the plan. If God had told Daniel that, guess what? You are going to be in the lion's den by this time tomorrow. What do you think? He'll be, he will intensify in his prayers, baby. But that was part of the plan. So if God should open our eyes or open our ears and tell us about his plan, he knows the end from the beginning. And he may tell us the end, but what is in between, he will not tell us. And if he tells us, some of us will run away and say that God doesn't love me. So, plan. So our, our life does not belong to us. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 19 to 20, say we are the, our body, the temple of the Holy Ghost. So we are not our own. We are being bought with a price. We are not. We belong to Jesus. We belong to God. And God can do whatever He wants or whatever He feels like to do in our lives. So let's, every day we wake up, Apostles say we should always ask this question. What's my purpose for living today? We need to ask our maker that. We are not just asking ourselves. God, why did you allow me to wake up today? Some have slept and they never woke up. So why did I have to live? Why? Why? What's my purpose of living? What do you have in plan for me today? And that will guide your steps. That will make you to be in the very center of God's will at every given time. Because we must know the purpose why we live. Because our life is not our own. Amen. And this is where I rest my case.